Marriage is what brings us together today. That classic line from the, from the Princess Bride, um, if you can't guess what we're talking about today, it's going to be marriage. Uh, you're getting your Valentine's sermon a little bit earlier this week, church. Uh, we've been working through the book of Ephesians together. And as we close out Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives us, I'm going to call it, go ahead and call a spade a spade, a very challenging message as he gives us instruction as husband, as wife, of, of what our role should be within those confines of marriage. You know, I've done many wedding ceremonies over the years, and I've held people's hands as they said their I do's, but I've also held hands as they said their I don'ts as well. And for some, marriage has been years of richness, and for some, it has been years of sorrow. Now, I'll give you this as well, just to be fully transparent. You know how they say don't pray for patience? Um, Because if you do, well, God gives you multiple opportunities to practice that patience. In the same vein, I'll say this, don't preach on marriage. Uh, Me and my wife kind of got tickled this week. It was just one of those, you you know how you have one of those weeks, amen, church? Where it's just one of those weeks, and we got to the end of the week, and we were kind of like, you know, why has this week been so hard with us? And Devin said, you're preaching on marriage. And I said, you're right, it was like this the last time I preached on marriage. And she was like, maybe you shouldn't preach on marriage anymore. But I tell you that because we can be completely honest. Uh, No marriage is perfect. My marriage isn't perfect. I'm willing to bet your marriage is probably not perfect either. Uh, But as we finish Ephesians 5, and we'll we'll work a little bit through Ephesians 6 next week, then we'll start something new. We're starting a series that I'm really excited about, Christian Apologetics. Um, I want to say, you know, marriage isn't easy. It demands a lot, but it's also this amazing, incredible adventure. My wife and I will come up on 14 years uh, this year, and, you know, we've had seasons of difficulty, just like we all do. Um, Marriage brings its challenges, so I never want to paint a picture like we have it all figured out, because believe me, we don't. But in tension with that, I do want to say, however, uh, by the grace of God, I have been able to enjoy nearly 15 years uh, with this wonderful woman that I know as my wife. And my wife and I, we look forward to being together. I don't leave work uh, dreading going home. And she's actually excited to see me when I get home. It's an amazing thing that we view each other as friends and that we see marriage as something that's rich and rewarding and meaningful. However, when I look around our culture, I see so many people that are simply unhappy in their marriage, or they want to get out of their marriage, or they feel stuck in their marriage, or maybe they do get out of their marriage. That comes a certain set of difficulty as well. And that saddens me to my core, because I know what marriage can be, what it should be, and it's hard to see when so many people are a part of something, and they're sad and unhappy, and just feel like every day is a drudgery. And I also know this, that my wife and I could very easily slide into that place. Um, Why is that? Because we're both sinners, and we're both broken, and we both have baggage and a history, and we bring all of that into marriage. But when God says, do things my way, I believe this, that marriage works, that it can function as it's supposed to function. It was God's plan since the beginning, and marriage is not broken The institution, what God made, is not broken. Instead, people are broken. And when it comes to finding wholeness in Christ and living according to his design, marriage becomes what it's intended 
to be and something that's edifying to both husband, wife, and to God himself. And so we've been working through together the book of Ephesians. We've called it inheritance because we said that God has so richly blessed us as Christians. He's been good to his church. And part of that inheritance is this relationship between husband and wife. And so Paul gives us some practical insight here this morning. But again, I want to be completely honest and a bit sensitive and honest uh, as we go through this. Today's passage, today's text is an incredible challenge because it pushes against the grain of culture so incredibly much. This is not how the world would say you operate and you do things. And part of what fascinates me about God's word is so often it speaks to the minority. You know, you have, the Bible says that, that wide is the path that leads to destruction, and we see our culture running this way. But Christians are to go the opposite way, down this narrow path. And part of what reminds me that God's word is true is that so few people adhere to it and do it. So this morning, as we talk about marriage, I want you to notice the foundation when you build any structure or home or high-rise, you can deal with, you can manage certain things that aren't exactly right. You can deal with a wall that's out of square. You can deal with a floor that's not completely level. Uh, you can deal with trim around you know, the crown molding that doesn't match up perfectly. But if you have structural problems, if you have foundational problems, that's a whole other story because the whole building could collapse. And here's what I believe, I think scripture teaches this, that marriage is foundational for society. That marriage is what all of society rests upon, that God instituted it, he made it, the family unit brings stability to the society around us. It provides protection for women and for children. And I think it domesticates men and calms them down. And if I were Satan, and I had the same end goals that Satan had, my mission would be to completely eradicate and to completely destroy the marital relationship and also the family unit. And when I look around, I think some insight because that's exactly what Satan is doing. There are cracks showing in the foundations of marriage. And we see many contributing factors that deal damage to marriage and to the family unit. We can look at them, infidelity. Ease of access to pornography, abortion, feminism, chauvinism, toxic masculinity, demasculinization, the sexual revolution, homosexuality, the blurring and eradication of all differences in gender, divorce, premarital sex, all of these swirling into the perfect storm that are causing cracks and fissures in this marital unit and the family itself. And so I think the question we have to ask is Christians is do our lives and marriages and families look different than the culture around us? If we say we have a Christian worldview, is that impacting the way we relate as husband and wife? Is it impacting um, the way we operate in our homes? Because I know this, if the church can't get marriage right, what hope does the rest of the world have when it comes to marriage? And unfortunately, so much of the church looks like the rest of the world. And Christian, I firmly believe this. We have to get this right. We have to win in our marriages and in our homes because the entire society around us is built upon marriage and the family unit. You know, 
Whenever I talk about marriage and divorce and sexuality, I always think it's so important that we bring grace back into the picture. Because here's what I know. When you become a Christian, your past is wiped away. Now, your consequences still remain. And, you know, sometimes when it involves relationships and and sexual history, um, sometimes we carry those consequences into the present. And we can't help that because that's just sort of the principle of you reap what you sow. But for those of us that maybe look back into our, our previous marriage or our previous lives and we see sin and we see mistakes, there's God's grace for that. Those of us that look back and we feel the shame of certain sexual sins in the past, there's God's grace for that. You are free from your shame and from your guilt because you are in Christ. Yet we need to think about and take action for where we are in the present. Scripture has this specific plan for how men and women, specifically I should say, how husbands and wives relate to one another. And perhaps you're here this morning and you're not married. You say, well, this doesn't apply to me. Oh, but it does. Because maybe one day you'll be married. And if not, at the very least, we all need to have an understanding of how to operate between husbands and wives, what marriage is supposed to be like from a Christian worldview. So let's talk about the foundation. So if you have your, if you have your Holy Scripture with you this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians 5, 21. And this, this verse is so foundational for everything we're going to talk about today as it relates to husbands and wives. But when we get into Ephesians 6, which we're probably not going to have time to get into it, um, but Paul talks about what it looks like between children and parents, between employers and employees, between husbands and wives. And this verse, Ephesians 5.21, is foundational in how you relate to all people. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's a challenge because this is completely pressing up against our culture. Let's read it. 521. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This passage underlies our success in all relationships in that we submit to one another in Christ. So what is submission? Well, it's a military term. It means to rank yourself under someone else. Now, I've never been into, in the military, but I imagine if you sort of you know, try to usurp your commanding officer's authority, I would imagine they don't handle that very well because God placed you under that commanding officer. That's what it means to submit, that you rank yourself willfully under someone else. And guys, this is completely counter culture. Because what does culture say? Culture says assert your dominance. Culture says climb to the top and have everybody else serve you. Culture says please yourself. And selfishness already comes naturally to me. But our culture ingrains that idea into us that life is all about you. But Paul says a completely radical idea submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Jesus, in an act of infinite submission, lowered himself, entered into creation, died on the cross as a criminal that we might have a relationship with God and be saved. And because he did that, I should value people around me as well. And if Christ submitted to me, who am I to think that I can't submit to you, and as we'll see specifically this morning, that I can't submit to my wife and she also 
to me. Paul says the foundation for all relationships is mutual submission, that we rank ourselves under the people around us. The husband who demands his wife submit but doesn't see his obligation to submit to her cannot function as a godly husband. A parent that demands obedience from their children but that doesn't lay themselves down sacrificially to meet their children's needs is not fulfilling their role as a godly parent. A boss that says, you know what, I want all of my employees to respect me, but he doesn't respect his employees. He is out of bounds as an employer. That is the foundation. And so with that in mind, we're going to get into some hard text today. So everybody buckle up. Are you ready? Let's do it. Um, first of all, let's talk about instruction for the wives. So ladies, we're going to pick on you first. And again, this is what Paul says. This is inspired word of God, counter-cultural. Keep that in your mind. Instruction for wives. Look at verses 22 through 24. Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit and everything to their husbands. So let's talk about, first of all, ladies, first of all, wives, I should say, because this is written specifically to wives. Let's talk about submission. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, keep in tension, he's already said, there's mutual submission. And so he's sort of reiterating this idea specifically for wives. What does it mean for you to submit? Now, does this verse say, wives, obey your husbands? Do y'all see that there? Amen, ladies? It doesn't say that. It says, wives, submit. In other words, rank yourself under your husband. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Now, what does it mean that the husband is the head of the wife? Well, it means there is some organizational structure here. Now, I understand that may sound or feel uncomfortable because of the society that we live in, but we have to understand mutual submission. When a husband loves as he should, when things are done right, it isn't a problem for a wife to submit to a husband. God set up relationships to work a certain way, and he says the man is the head of the family. So there's a difference in role, but there's not a difference in value or worth. Husband, wife, equal in worth, but there is a difference in role. But we live in a society that wants to say there is no leaders. We live in a society that wants to say there's no distinctions, there's no roles. We think that sounds like freedom. But here's the truth. Nobody being the leader is not freedom, it's chaos. Nobody being the leader is not freedom, it's chaos. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken a cruise. I have not been blessed to, to do this. But what if on the cruise ship, everybody got their own steering wheel? How would that work? I don't know how many people fit on a cruise. Let's just say a thousand people. A thousand steering wheels on the cruise ship. Where's that cruise ship going? Nowhere. Or it may literally wrench itself apart as all of these, you know, um, these oars are, are pulling in different directions. Now, here's what Scripture says, that God designed men to be the leader. And I believe that is a blessing to my wife. And here, here's how. I have been... In, the, in my, my history, as somebody who has worked in different jobs and been in ministry, I've been in different roles. I have been in situations where people had to submit to my leadership and sort of um, I was responsible for things. And I have been in the position where I was submitting to someone else over me. Guess which one of those were my favorites? I would much rather be able to say, I don't know, go ask the boss, right? 
I don't know. Um, he, they make the decisions. And so if I am the leader that I'm supposed to be, it is a great blessing to my wife. But the, the key word here is if I am who I'm supposed to be. And that is not a boss to my wife. It's a servant leader. Huge distinction. God arranged things a certain way that the man was to be designed to be the head of his home. And in saying that, to our culture at large, can we please stop pretending that men and women are not the same? Um, or I'm sorry, can we please stop pretending that men and women are the same? You know, our culture gives us this idea that men and women are identical in all ways, and it's just not true. Let me ask you, was your mom and dad different growing up? Because mine sure were. Um, men, our, men and women, our biology is different. Our programming is different. Our anatomy is different. The way we express emotion is different. And I even see it in my kids. Did you know that from infancy, you know, I had this son, thought I had it all figured out, and then these two strange creatures showed up, these two little girls. What do I do with this, right? But did you know even from infancy there are difference in little boys and little girls? Did you know that, that little girls, even just you know, weeks old will maintain eye contact longer than little boys. Now, why is that? Because girls are programmed in so many ways to be so much more relationally attentive than boys are. See, in my kids, let's stop pretending like men and women are the same and let's embrace the differences. You know, we want to celebrate diversity where none exists in our society and tear down diversity where it actually does exist. Paul says there's mutual submission. Let's talk about the battle of the sexes. And we've we got to pick up the pace real quick, church. I don't want to keep you here till 1 o'clock. Next week you can bring a sack of lunch. Let's note the battle of the sexes here. Now, I think it's important that we know that when sin entered the world, everything went haywire. You see, God made Adam and Eve perfectly. And I, I try to imagine this, and I can't imagine it. Now, they still worked because work wasn't... God has always desired that mankind work. Sin made work harder and difficult and we had to sweat. But try to imagine this, what Eden must have been like where Adam and Eve never squabbled, never disagreed. She submitted to his headship. He loved her in a sacrificial way. And it was just everyday oohs and ahs and they were so, so in love. But when sin entered the world, there were these curses that were pronounced. And I want us to see specifically the curse that God pronounces to the woman. Genesis 3.16, I'll just read it to you. It says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. Ladies, I'm sorry, it wasn't my fault. In pain you shall bring forth children. But then he says this. He says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, this is not how it was designed, but when sin entered the world, women were more inclined to the idea of not submitting to their husbands, but wanting to over-control their husbands. Would you believe I see that sometimes today as well? And then the other part of that curse was that your husband shall try to rule and lord over you. In other words, I'm going to subdue you. And have we seen that for thousands of years where women have not had equal status in so many ways as men? This is why I believe we need Christ in our lives and in our marriages to restore and correct how husband relates to wife and how wife relates to husband. And so God's design is not for a woman to be a servant. She isn't less important, but she is to submit to her husband's headship. Men and women, equal in value, worth, and dignity, but it's difference in role. Now, let's ask this question, ladies. Why submit? Look at verse 22. 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Everything we do is in obedience to God and for his glory. When we mutually submit to one another, we place ourselves under those who are in authority over us and we live in mutual submission. Now, here's what we have to think about. Sometimes the person that God calls us to submit to is not always quote-unquote worthy of submission. There have been days, believe it or not, in my marriage where I was not the ideal husband, but my wife, out of her love for God and her love for me, lived in such a way that she placed herself under me in submission. It's not always easy. There have been times in my life where I have worked certain jobs and I didn't necessarily respect the person above me, but you know what? I still had to do. I still had to appreciate and submit because they had a headship role in my life. Um, There have been, you know, times in our country where I didn't appreciate or respect the president that was in office. So I just badmouthed him on social media all the time. Is that what we're supposed to do? No, we're supposed to appreciate the office. Now, I don't care whether it's a Democrat or a Republican or an independent in the White House. If they are in headship, if they are over me, guess what Scripture tells me to do? It's not easy, is it? This is the challenge of Scripture. Verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. If the church doesn't acknowledge the leadership and direction of Christ, we're in trouble and we get nowhere. And so Paul says it's the same thing in marriage. If a wife refuses to follow the direction and leadership of her husband, how can they move forward? Verse 23 again. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So Christ is the role model for husbands. What did Christ do for the church? Well, he laid down his life. Man, are you laying down your life for your wife? He loves the church. We're going to get into men in a minute. Are you loving your wife? He protects the church. Are you protecting your wife? He provides for the church, leads the church. That is our role as husbands. Then Paul reiterates the point. Verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What a completely countercultural, challenging message. That was to the wives. Husbands, are you ready this morning? Let's talk about your instruction as well. Um, it's, it's our turn here. Again, you'll see that Scripture places a woman under the leadership of her husband. But sometimes we misunderstand what leadership is. Leadership is not, this is what we're going to do and let's do it. No, when we see the word leadership, when we think about it scripturally, it is servant leadership. In the same way that a pastor is the leader of the church, he doesn't show up with his scepter and his crown and say, this is what we're doing. No, he gets in there and he should be the the, the ultimate servant in a church. And that's the picture that husbands should be for wives, that we should serve our wife to such a degree that she knows when I say, hey, let's do this, she knows that it's for her best interest. And she easily falls in line and follows. We are servant leaders. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Man, did you hear that? He says to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? Well, he died sacrificially. He gave his life for the church. Our love is not about what we get. It's about what we give. And maybe if our wives understood that we are servant leaders, maybe they would be happy to follow our leadership. When I love my wife the way Christ says to, it means I die to me every single day. 
story, truthfulness. I didn't live that way in some areas this week and it became apparent as there was tension between me and my wife. I'm blaming it on the fact that I was preaching on it today. Man, let me say this too. You can't love your wife if you have a lust problem. Man, you can't love your wife if you view pornography. Now, someone told me, Josh, you sure mention pornography a lot from the pulpit, and I do, because it's an epidemic in our culture, it's an epidemic in our churches, and every time I mention it from the pulpit, inevitably I get a phone call or a text that says, hey, this is a problem in my life, it's been a problem for years, what do I do about it? So if you're here this morning and that's a struggle, know that you're not alone, that other people struggle there as well, and that none of us are perfect, but don't continue with it in your life. I can't love my wife if my life is focused on me pleasing me through whatever means necessary. Paul says, husband, love your wife. And I see so many women hungry for the love and the affection of their husbands. Now, husband, you may be a great uh, provider. You may be faithful. Let me tell you this. Your wife needs your emotional love and affection as well. Now, the world tells men, assert your dominance. Show up with bravado. Now, I like a man's man. God designed men to be leaders. That's the role that we were placed in. It's how God chose to do it. But he didn't say leadership is lording over someone. He says, no, it's servant leadership. Now, I know we're getting close to time, so we're going to hit these last few points really quick. How should men love their wives? Well, Paul says this, number one, with a pure love. Look at verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So there's this ultimate analogy that husband and wife is indicative of Christ and the church, bride and bridegroom. And, and it said, Paul says that Christ is purifying the church. Husbands, what I take out of this is it reminds me to guard my wife's heart. I am responsible in a lot of ways to shield her and protect her from anything that's impure. And that also gives me this responsibility that I am to be the spiritual leader in my home. Well, what does that mean? That means I want to see my wife grow in her faith. And if I'm not doing that myself, I'm not providing any leadership. If I'm not initiating prayer in my home, I'm not providing leadership. If I'm not helping my family understand who Christ is, I'm not providing that leadership. Paul goes on, verse 28. He gives us this concerned love. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. I should have this amazing concern for my wife because we are one. Genesis says that the two become one flesh. If I hurt my wife, I hurt me. And I've been around men before where the whole time I'm with them, they're constantly putting down their wives. And I'm thinking, man, she sounds really horrible. But then I'm thinking, who picked her? You did. So this whole time you're down on your wife, well, buddy, you picked her. So what does that say about you? When I hurt my wife, I hurt me. 
When she hurts, I hurts. We are one, like two trees with roots that have grown together. When I dig up her roots, I dig up my own. Verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 31, Paul mentions a committed love. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Now that word there, cleave, it literally means to be glued or submitted, cemented together. This was God's ultimate plan. Now, are there allowances for divorce in Scripture? Yes, but it's still not what God wants. When we divorce, is there, is there grace and mercy? Yes, absolutely, but that was never part of God's plan. When you're stuck together, you're meant to be stuck together. And this is why divorce and premarital sex and extramarital sex are so damaging because when you submit two things together, when they are bound together, when they are ripped apart, they're never completely whole Again, it's just the consequences. And so husbands, you know, I hear spouses say this sometimes, you know what, I'm just done. In the middle of an argument, they'll say, I'm just done. Let me tell you what, that is so unfair because you're yanking someone else's emotions around and there's no stability, there's no foundation. The other person can't feel safe. Point four this morning, verse 32, a mystery revealed, we're almost done. Paul says this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Well, anytime you see the word mystery in scripture, it's something that was not once known but is now made known. And so Paul says this mystery of the church, the people in the Old Testament had no idea that Gentiles would be grafted into God's family, that the church would be the bride of Christ. And so the way Christ loves the church is how a man should love a woman sacrificially, purely committed, protecting her, concerned about her welfare. The relationship between husband and wife is linked between the relationship of church and Christ. And if you're not loving your wife like Christ loves the church, buddy, you ain't doing it right. Now Paul says, last point, in case you missed it, he gives us a quick summary in verse 33. In case you missed it, here's the reminder. However, let each one of you, me too, love his wife as himself. Men, husbands, ladies, wives, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Husbands, love your wives. Man up, protect her, care for her, show her love, put your own desires aside, meet her needs, keep yourself pure. Wives, respect your husband, follow his lead. Don't shove his mistakes in his face. Encourage him. If he's not taking the lead, encourage him to do so. Mutual submission. So I ask you as we close out this morning, where you at? Are you caught in the battle of the sexes? Does forgiveness need to happen somewhere? Are you submitting to one another? Are you putting your own needs above your spouse? I do that sometimes, Lord forgive me. Men, are you treating your wife as though you're her boss or as though you are her servant leader? Women, are you trying to lead in your home? Maybe that's because your husband hasn't fulfilled that role or maybe it's because you're caught up in this curse in Genesis where you're trying to over control. What needs to change? Men, are you watching pornography? Women, are you disrespecting and putting your husband down? Don't keep doing what you're doing. You have to change. Now here's what I see a lot is in marriage, sometimes we get caught saying this. Well, I tell you what, I'll start respecting him when he starts acting worthy to be respected. And he'll say, well, I'll start loving her when she starts respecting me. Well, guess what happens? Absolutely nothing. So who's going to decide to go first and assume your role that Christ laid out in Scripture? I know this is a completely counterculture message. 
but it's exactly what God says in Scripture. And I have this crazy idea that if God says do it and we do it, it works. It's the amazing thing about Christianity is it works when you apply what Christ says. 